Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and the brightest in the world of business, entrepreneurship, and recruiting to harness your own inner tenacity and drive your career forward. Folks, I am back at my favorite away studio here in Delray Beach with the one and only Mr. Joe Mullings. Welcome back for the 1800th time, sir. <laughs> Good to have me here. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I love it because this, this is now an annual tradition. This is the third year in a row. And I decided this year, we're just going to call it the State of the Mullings Union. This is what we're going to do here today. And Joe's a little bit jet lagged. He just flew in from Boston or Boston. Boston. When you're in Boston, do you feel the need to have the accent a little bit to assimilate with the people? Mm, I would never insult them. It's like when somebody comes to New York and tries to talk... New York with me, and it's just not going to work. It's not going to work. He's a jerk off if you do that. Exactly. LaGuardia, butter, water. That's a real, water, that's a real. Coffee, right pajamas, draw. Pajamas could be a little Boston, though. Uh, I don't know. I, don't, I haven't had a conversation about pajamas in Boston yet, though. So we're going to save that for that a uh, behind the scenes take on this one. So we're going to get into it right here. And I want to do a couple of things. I want to talk shop and I want to do a kind of a, a touch base with Joe and what's happening in Joe's world here. So this morning on LinkedIn, and sorry guys, I'm going to be looking down at my phone, not my crotch here. There was a, a word that stood out to me is adaptation. Mm -hmm. And as I'm getting ready this morning, the word is kind of swirling around in my head. Last year, we talked about a few different things around great resignation, the great migration, uncertainty, but now it's adaptation. Please share a little bit of your thoughts around this word and expand for the for the folks listening in sure so look in biz let's talk about business and then we can certainly talk about social um construct as well but in business it generally has a life of its own it's it's got its subtle influences over time um there are the masters of the universe who drive where business goes uh whether they're bankers whether they're social influencers whatever they are but that is an ev evolution and tends to be less ballistic in nature uh, and you know, when you do look back over the road, over a five, 10, 15 year period, you're like, huh, how did that happen, right? Um, but when you have a, an event like a pandemic on a Friday, everybody says, listen, go home for the weekend, be a couple weeks and we'll figure this out. And two years later, some people are, still aren't back. That is a ballistic introduction of an external stimulus that nobody had counted on. There was no business model that um, uh, accounted for that, no social world, et cetera. So what has to happen there is evolution gets pushed to the back of the line and the immediacy of adaptation has to occur. Um, now, they do have something in common. Evolution and adaptation both have the risk of um, extinction introduced to them. Mm. But the extinction function in adaptation occurs very rapidly. Mm. In evolution, 
it sort of goes off into the sunset in a very slow way, and somebody notices, oh, the dodo bird is not here any longer. But in adaptation, when that doesn't occur at a reasonable rate that matches the required adaptation, you start to get extinction and, as I mentioned this morning, irrelevance in the workplace. And that's a really scary situation. Yeah, so let's, let's give a, a practical, tactical example of that. And there are companies that had to go fully, most companies had to go fully remote pretty quickly. Some were well-prepared for it, they were equipped, they had the systems and processes, others did not. And by nature of the culture and the internal systems that they had, they were able to adapt and evolve into that world. And some of them are staying in that moving forward. Now we're talking into February, 2022, the return to office for many, for many companies. And we're starting to see folks say, I wanna go back, I don't wanna go back, I want something in the middle there. Adapting to the idea of having a hybrid or remote workforce is not does not sit well with some company leaders. Yeah, well, it shouldn't because they're generally the smartest people in the room and they have history on their side. And so, look, leaders are not born. Leaders are made. I agree. I think it's like a great athlete. Great athletes are not born, they're made. Blessed specimens, muscle attachment, um, uh, cognitive processing, fast twitch muscles, those are born, but great athletes are made through coaching and training. Discipline. And, 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 and discipline too, but let's stay with coaching and training as it applies to the workforce right. at a distance. There are great leaders out there who will quickly adapt to where we are today via Zoom, but they already have the gravitas, they already have the influence, they already have been sitting in that leadership seat. If you're coming out of the gate, you're a year out of university, you're three years out of university, and you don't get coached because you are now in a two-dimensional world at your desk, in your house or your WeWork space, whatever it is, I think it, it opens itself up for an enormous deficit that's coming right now on the coaching side of things. Yeah, let's take it to that a little bit. I've been saying this since day one. I spoke about this. Three, this is the third time I'm talking about it. The folks that are going to get hurt the most are new employees into a company. If a company does not have a solid remote onboarding policy, yeah. they're not able to really understand the culture. Now, some folks will throw around the word culture. It doesn't have to be in a physical space, but I'll argue against that. But it's the newer, younger employees out there that are missing this. They're missing that one-on-one -on -one coaching. And let's be real about it. When you're remote, when you're working from home, there's less of a priority and emphasis on in the office training when you're not, when you don't have the physical proximity to somebody on your team. Look, the impetus is missing. Look, if you are not already experiencing Zoom fatigue, then you're probably not human. <laughs> so please explain to me how at three o'clock in the afternoon, one of my younger teammates comes into my office and says, you got a minute, I've got a challenge I need to run through with you, right? That doesn't happen on Zoom, and you can't you get schedule that it. physical. You got to schedule it. One and two is, if there is not something profoundly different on in-person engagement than two-dimensional engagement, you may be pathological in nature. Okay, so you know, and then you start to aggregate these things over hours, days, weeks, months, years. There's going to be an enormous deficit in place. Romantically, we could make believe that this 2D world we're living in or this metaverse that is being proposed and all these right. other, it's just, it's going to leave an enormous gap in the uh, workplace. I, I truly believe humans are not meant to work in bubbles. We're not meant to work in silos. There's certain careers and fields 
if you're coding, if you're behind the computer all day, I could start to understand that. But if you're in the people business, if you're in the recruiting business, and now people, some people could argue, hey, recruiting is an individual sport. You could do that. But let's be real about it. For someone who's been in this business for over three decades, the camaraderie, the conversations that you have with other recruiters, you're bouncing ideas, you're talking about candidate situations, you're talking about client dilemmas, that cannot be replicated remotely. I mean, parts of it can. You could Slack, you could Discord, you could do this and that, but you're going to lose steam and you're going to lose energy. What does the, the hybrid of that look like where you're still giving your employees choice with a blanket of trust, real trust, not BS trust that we're just calling it buzzword trust, but what does the future of, of the workplace look like in a generalized best case scenario? Because, right, it's different for every industry. It's different, you know, you don't want your doctors working fully remote. Like, well, we, well, that's a whole other podcast, but. Well, first of all, you know, let's, 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 uh, let's address the recruiting. In recruiting, we lived in a 2D world. We lived in a remote world. So, so we rarely, in most recruiting functions, did you interact face-to-face -face with people. Most of the time you were on the phone back in the old days. Still. Um, and and you, were, <clears throat> you were chatting on the phone, so you didn't have, what is that stat? Communication, 7% of it is, is verbal, the rest of it's in-person, physical, body language, et cetera. So we learned to live like that, which is why I think recruiters are, are phenomenal communicators when you get them face-to-face -face with each other. Um, but- and, Case in point. What's that? <laughs> Yeah, case in point. And, and, and then when you build an organization, and we are tribal by nature, right? And, and there's, 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 there's science out there that shows, you know, once, once you get more than 100 people in an organization, you actually have to start to um, bifurcate that organization right. and, and, and break it off into smaller tribes. So there's that. But there's going to become the penalty of scaling in digital. I, I think you can get away with digital and two-dimensional and virtual uh, relationships. But the penalty of scaling that's going to occur when you try and make that 24-7, 365 is going to have um, an efficiency drop-off, um, a lack of, of, of true communication. Um, and I think developmental skills are gonna suffer. The people who are already leaders are getting to set the agenda on how engagement's gonna occur. Here's what my concern is, and, and we talked about this last time we were together, there's no possible way the solution we came with, came up with last March in a 24 hour period is the best solution or even close to the best solution two years later. No. And now, so you're asking people to go, okay, we did this for survival and I get that and I respect that. But now, Who's actually sat back at a distance and go, okay, now where do we go? That is going to be another seismic shift in the workforce. And I think people, leaders are gonna be afraid of that or wonder when they should pull that cord to make that seismic shift. And that leads to a conversation about attrition. Because there are folks that have gotten very comfortable working from home mm -hmm. and they love it and it works well for them and they've adapted their life and it all kind of is now seamless. And they, but for whatever reasons it works. But what we don't talk about, and I think it's a big thing on social media and LinkedIn, we don't talk about the folks where that does not work for. The, the, the single parent at home with three kids with, with, with crappy Wi-Fi and they're trying to get their work done and they have little kids running around all day. Their performance is suffering. They're potentially about to lose their job because we are gonna get to a point, and we'll put a pin in this one, the great recalibration, as I like to call it, where the rubber hits the road and we'll say, okay, let's look back the last couple of years. 
There's some folks that need to be in a physical office because this is their arena. This is their field. This is where they suit up and put their uniform on and they're ready to go. And that's what we're not talking about. So our leaders are so concerned about, oh my God, am I going to lose everybody if I ask people, if I kindly ask you, please come back to the office that you once started at a couple of years ago. Interesting scenario we got going on here. I would agree with that. Here, the loudest voices right now are the people who, to your point, are, I don't want to go back to work. And they're easy to highlight, and they should be highlighted because that's a choice. I think this is also going to start to um, fraction the workforce. So if you want to work remote, you, there's always a consequence with every decision we make. If you want to work remote, you're going to be compromised on your ability to move up through the organization. Until that type of role that's been designed intentionally to be remote has its own path forward. Pause on that for one second. Yeah. This is a really interesting point. We talk about promotion and growth in the workplace. Visibility is a huge component to your being uh, reviewed for your performance. How your interpersonal skills are in the workplace. Does, does your boss, I don't like the word boss, but does your supervisor, superior, uh, see how you're interacting, your body language, how you, how you treat others is a huge performance metric. Are you nurturing them? It's kind of hard to do remotely. Well, I think most of the really sort of evident leaders in the workforce today, and, and I, tend to, I tend to agree with them, not as aggressively as they portray it, but I do believe the soft skills are gonna be really important moving forward. So there's a few things, is, is the soft skills. The, the ability to understand others, the ability to engage with others, to your point. Um, we still are gonna need subject matter experts in certain areas mm -hmm. of, of the workforce. Having said that though, you're gonna need the people who are emotionally agile, because I don't like the word empathy, um, emotionally agile uh, that will be able to work uh, effectively and lead effectively in the workforce. You can't learn emotional agility um, in isolation. You can certainly learn it and be less effective than in person. And I think this emotional agility component coming forward in the workplace, because, and the reason for emotional agility is because we're going to have to be lifelong learners. And, and I've been pushing this for years now is the, the rate of change of technology, of, 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 of social norms, of this disruption of the, the rightful disruption of the social fabric that's occurring right now for a number of reasons, how we buy, how we sell, how we integrate, how we've become less of an isolationist in regards to the rest of the world in the USA, um, you're going to need to be able to learn things at a very rapid rate and convince yourself that your education did not stop at 18 or 21. Let's, 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 let's double back here to, well, what I'm curious, and, and I, I agree with you, so empathy is a, a tremendous buzzword that I don't, I think everyone's like leading in way too heavy on because if you're always empathetic, I don't think you're giving yourself the bandwidth to make rational decisions all the time, to think about it subjectively. But this, uh, this new phrase, what's, what's the difference? Emotional agility versus empathy? Correct. Well, so emotional agility is the ability for you to dial in and dial down with whoever you're engaging with, right? And keep yourself safe. Like empathy to me is, <laughs> empathy is putting yourself in the, if you go by the definition, the pure definition, putting yourself definition. in the shoes of the person and what they are feeling right now. 
if you've had any meaningful relationship in your lifetime, you get, if you love somebody and you have that empathy for them and they're going through something hard, that will absolutely drain you. And so if you were doing nothing but exposing yourself to empathetic um, um, scenarios on a daily basis, you were not gonna, look, put the oxygen mask on yourself first yes. before you can help others. And I believe that empathy has its place, but not at the scale that it's being tossed about irresponsibly today. Emotional agility gives you the ability to be like, I see where you're coming from, I understand it, right? I can, I can, I can, I can relate. I can absolutely relate. I'm not gonna get pulled into your pity party and I'm not gonna get played because people use empathy against you. Yes, and, and that, thank God we're talking about this. And I, and I think we, we need to cancel empathy. No, I'm just kidding. Please remove this from the record. No, I'm just kidding on that one. But, but start to think about empathy a little bit differently. And to Joe's point, how draining it is and what that takes away from the energy required for you as a business leader, as a, as a parent, as a friend, and all these other pieces. I absolutely love it. Uh, hiring trends, let's, let's dig into this a little bit. Um, still a candidate-driven market out there. Poof, more than <laughs> ever. More, more, more than we've ever seen and probably is not going to go away. Thank goodness the individual now has the leverage in the marketplace. Too long, companies have had way too much leverage in the marketplace. We're starting to see. Well, we're starting to see a little bit more of parity come around. Now, having said that, there's a responsibility to understand that people still have businesses to run. There's a responsibility to understand that 99.9% .9 of the business models that are in place today were designed pre-February of 2020. And those owners, those entrepreneurs who were not making massive profits as an Amazon or a Walmart or, 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 or a BOA, right. right? Like those are massive profit machines and deserve to be because they create incredible opportunity for everybody on the planet. However, the entrepreneurs, the solopreneurs, mm -hmm. the people who own the dry cleaners, the people who own the restaurants especially, especially those, those, those make up most of our ecosystem. Those people are not making massive money even pre-pandemic. Oh, the margins weren't tremendous. And the, no, they were not. And now you've got people coming back with this, this, this um, you owe me this entitlement mentality. You're going to end up creating a state where businesses will be going out of business at record rates and you won't have a chair to sit in when the music stops. And this is this is the truth, people. Anybody who doesn't believe this, just sit back and watch. And, and if we talk about recruiting, if we wanna get into it, spoke about it last year, the salary asks, I'm using that word in lieu of demand because mm -hmm. we're almost at a demand state, are astronomical. Now, I cannot fault a candidate or an individual for trying to take advantage of that arbitrage, mm -hmm. right? Why not? This is your opportunity to make a significant jump in your salary. And companies are now up against the ropes. We're like, shit, we're losing people, attrition, and they're forced to pay these high salaries, also title-wise. So now you have somebody who's a manager and they are calibrated at a manager level. And they're like, screw it, I'm gonna go for director level. I'm gonna get that 30% bump right now. They're in the interview. Companies like, shoot, we're, our clients are upset. We can't fill this role here. And they're giving these salaries. What's going to happen? The great recalibration, the people are gonna be in the role for six months, the honeymoon phase is over. And now what? you have a subpar candidate in there the process is gonna start all over again. You're, 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 That's just my take. You're, you're correct there. So look, you know, if, if I've got a business, I never wanna be held hostage 
um, uh, based upon the market, but you've got to pay what the market's paying. So that's number one. Number two, it's not always money too. So as you know, I, I wrote a piece that got a lot of, lot of attention where there are multiple levers to pull when you talk about um, a package as an employee. Not just always money. Right, it's not always money, right? There's a number of comp Total comp, there. we call and it. Total comp. Total, total, total package, right? Rewards whether they call it now? time off, whether it's comp, bonus, et cetera, right? I got a number of levers to pull. Um, but you, 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 you spotted something very, very succinctly there is we are, we are going to have a challenge with people rising beyond their level of competency based upon titles. Some will. There, there will be much more because of this than there were previously. So we, we used to have within reason a level of um, sort of a level of, of advancement in a career based upon competency. Sure, there's always nepotism. Sure, there's always incompetent people. We can we have that picture of that person in our face when we worked with them in the past. But for the most part, the reason the system works so well is the level of competency was determined by your title and vice versa. Now you've got people being pushed up into, or here's the other. I'm sorry, this is this salary is staked at 150 at director. At 180, because it's it's a it's a legacy pay model. In order for me to give you 180, I got to give you the VP title. Well, I'm not taking less than 180. Well, we're going to kick you up to VP to rationalize the silly pay parity mm -hmm. that I had in place. So now I'll make you a VP and give you the 180. And then now you've got people at a VP level who are now then going to affect everything below them right. and lateral to them. You're not just not setting them up for success, but you're not setting your organization up for success. Well, and you're not setting up the people that they're leading for success because right now you've got people who have not been... Um, have not had the right experience in the right scenario at the right moment in time at a level of influence in organizations that are going to start are going to start declaring themselves you're going to start to be seeing cracks in the fascia coming over the next few years fascinating fascinating stuff here and we we called it here first on the podcast uh 2022 state of the union with joe mullings here Hey everybody, first I'd like to thank you all for spending time with me and my guest on the podcast. This show is my canvas to showcase amazing people from the world of recruiting, entrepreneurship, and leadership, and unpack their career journeys for everyone to learn from. But this show is also a business generator for me, as well as creating thought leadership and endless amazing content. And I've taken what I've learned in the past three years, and over 200 recorded and 100 live shows, and distilled it down into a digital playbook that I call the Pause Course. Now you could learn how I build, manage, and produce the podcast and use it to drive real business development and relationships. Today, I'm sharing all of my secrets behind the podcast, and you can get it all at thepausecourse.com. This course is for anyone, whether you're starting out or an advanced podcaster, you're using it for B2B, a B2C. It's filled with all of my insights, learnings, tips, tricks, and templates. So get it now at thepausecourse.com and learn all my secrets. Thanks. Uh, before we went on air, we were talking about I am on the verge of launching a new division of NHP Talent Group focused on everything Web3. And it's not just your JPEG NFTs out there, but the technology behind it. And we spoke last year about the concept of the resume locker, if mm -hmm. you recall. Mm -hmm. And I thought about this the other day. I'm like, holy shit, Joe, Joe is on this. And this is the idea of using technology, specifically the blockchain, the decentralized platform where your employment history, for better or worse, is stored. It's a verified source. It's everything is on there. How have your thoughts evolved on the technology and this idea around migrating from a traditional CV, 
migrating from the LinkedIn profile, which I do not think, for the record, the LinkedIn profile will not and should not replace a resume because not everyone has access to it. Not everyone uses it the same. Plus, it's owned by somebody else, a company called Microsoft. So let's park that one over there. Your thoughts on an update 2022 edition on the resume locker. Yeah, so uh, resume locker is in development. And the intention there was, this is who I am as a person. This is, right, because... I'm, I'm, I'm not a crunchy granola tree hugger type. I'm no. a very pragmatic capitalist. Um, I also am a business owner, multiple businesses. And, and I also want to know what is it that makes you tick and who do you want to become? And can I create that environment in my organization in order to facilitate who you want to become? both personally, professionally, potentially spiritually. And I didn't mean that religiously either. Mm -hmm. And so what the, what the resume locker does is allows you to show you own it, you own the combination, you owe the key. You will have the, the, the leading edge item, the resume and or the LinkedIn profile um, that will be the, um, the bait. And then once somebody presents to you, here's our company, here's our opportunity pause, here's what we're thinking about for you, um, you then go to go, hmm, okay, you've got 24-hour access to my resume locker. It's, and and here, here is my life. Here are my children. Here are my hobbies. Here are my sports. By the way, on the side, I'm a photographer. Um, I'm also an endurance athlete. Um, I'm also uh, pursuing late in life a pilot's license. And here is, here is my qualified, verified CV education and references from people that I've worked from before who can speak to that. Here's my body of work. Better hires will be made. Um, better work environment will be made as bespoke as possible for who you wanna become. Um, and you have a responsibility as the individual to make sure that, and it's again verified, to make sure that that only gets in the hands of the people that can't print it, they can't do anything with it, right? They can and just they, view it. And they can just view it. And of course, you can videotape whatever you want to do. And I'm sure there'll be some technology sooner or later that won't even allow you to videotape a screen. But it gives you insight. And there might be an agreement in place that says, right. this is confidential information. Should you violate this confidential information without my, there'll be legal bills to pay. But isn't this kind of, if I'm reading between the lines, this is basically creating your avatar in the metaverse. This is my employment, my life. This is who I am when I want to present myself to an employee. He's living in the metaverse, the sandbox, whatever. Maybe you could have your uh, the Mullings group virtual next to, between Kanye and Snoop Dogg over there, however you want to do it. It's not uh, any different than a credit report, correct. okay? Look. So a bank, a, a bank is- <laughs> Old looking, school technology. Right, old, but, but look, pat, history doesn't repeat itself. Patterns repeat themselves, right? And so what an institution was judging your trustworthiness for them to give you their money. And you, at that point in time, were either a beggar or you were a shopper. Because if you had great credit and you had lots of cash and you were fluid, but you wanted to put somebody else's money at work on your behalf, they were chasing you to give you the, right. their money. If you're a businessman who's successful, you know what that feeling is. It's very nice to have. And so what you did is you then had a construct that was verified out in not the metaverse, but the digital landscape right. of, hey, here's what American Express says about you, verified. Here's what Visa says about you. Here's what your last four mortgage companies say about credit you. Credit rating. That's what you're looking at here. Now, as long as you have a good credit rating, you could use it as a tool. And so the same thing with the resume locker. You will be able to use your 
history on the judgment of the potential employer. We're not going to go down the route of scoring, right? We don't want, I mean, scoring is a, is a different- We score everything. You right. scored your wife before you- I did let score. her select you. You didn't pick her. She selected me. That's what I'm saying. But you scored her. We, we're scoring machines. We have to make judgments on things based on algorithms. Algorithms of a life. So with that being said, let's talk about um, goals for you personally and professionally. What is on Joe Mulling's 2022 professional goal list? Um, speaking of scoring. Speaking of scoring. So projects we have in play. Goals have a, yeah, goals are a destination. I don't like goals. Um, projects we have in play. Uh, because once you reach a goal, unless you've designed the goal beyond it, that whole infrastructure crashes and then you have nothing to do. So that's how I feel about goals, right? So <laughs> Mullingisms. Um, so we just started, I'm really excited uh, with the DF team, the Dragonfly team. Uh, we are doing a um, doc, a documentary on the town of Telluride, Colorado. On my list, we'll get to that. Um, so that let's, is- Let's talk about super, that for a minute. Yeah, sure. Uh, when did you first fall in love with Telluride? 2008, the day I got off the plane with a good friend of mine who took me out there skiing. I don't like skiing. I got off the plane and within 15 seconds, I'm like, I will spend part of my life here forever. Was it that landing ship where you just come in and you just kind of hit the runway? I, I've done it. Well, part of it is landing in Telluride, which is the second highest public it's airport. It's epic. <laughs> um, it's just you, it, the people, the vibe, the history of it, um, the Box Canyon, um, you're, you're, you're you're floored by the beauty every time you see it. Every morning you wake up, um, you're floored by the old. people are amazing. Um, not Vail, it's not Aspen, it doesn't have that vibe to it. The people that get there, it, it takes effort to get there and you're there for a reason. It's a box canyon nearest stoplights 30 something miles away. Um, and you, there's no through traffic. And the, or, the, the town knows who it is, welcomes everybody, but also tends to purge people who shouldn't be there. Right. The folks that shouldn't be there should not. So what's the impetus behind this documentary? And is it more of a passion project or how is it tied to business goals? So look, DF is a very, very, very strong business of ours, Dragonfly. Um, our 160 studios is big. You know, I mentioned earlier, it's really important. You have a responsibility to the people you work with all the time. And I take the responsibility I have to the DF family very seriously. And they're creatives. And look, the, the, and they're, they're hand-selected creatives from around the industry. Mm -hmm. And they come in every day and do an unbelievable, unbelievable um, delivery of service and creative in a studio sometimes, sometimes with True Future out on the road. And when we had True Future and we were going to Israel and Germany and the UK, they got to flex their creative side in areas out in the field with, we don't know what's gonna happen, let's see what happens, right? You don't get that in a studio. And so my love for Telluride, um, it's a story that needed to be told. And I was um, sitting one night and I'm like, wait, there's a convergence opportunity here. My creatives deserve and need a place to flex and teach me. I said, um, and there was an opportunity coming up about potentially doing a doc. So we got together, together with the movers and shakers and uh, the people in Telluride and uh, they agreed. So they uh, are opening their proverbial, I don't know if it's a kimono in a mining town, but, uh, or ski jacket in a ski town, but anyway, they're Take opening it, it up for us. 
And uh, we were just out there a couple of weeks ago with um, Johnny Stevens and, and Ron Allred, who were two very, very, very important people in the making of the mountain. Um, and it's gonna be about a 14 month project for us. So I have that onus to Telluride. I have that onus more so to my DF team on fulfilling what they need to do. Uh, and sometimes, pause. I'm just like, hey, let's do this and see what happens. Love it. And, and, I, and that's something that I picked up from you and something that really is standing out to me in the last two minutes is when you have a team, especially in the creative space or really anything, you want to give them the, the opportunity. You want to create the opportunity for them to do their best work, for them to be inspired. And it, and it all comes back is why they want to be part of this, why they want to work for you. Mm -hmm. Because you're giving them these opportunities. You're, you're creating them and saying, here you go, boys and girls. Well, Get at it. Well, I'm not giving it to them. I, I would not have been been inspired to pursue this if not but for them, right? So, so that's, that's really important to understand. Like they get me to look at things differently. The DF, the DF concept and now the reality of it, they have created so much lateral thinking in my mind. I do, I do say that is a big part of the reason for our my personal creative explosion over the last four or five years. Are you going to be the, the host and the narrator of this project? We're trying to eliminate, we're, we're trying to have the story tell itself. Love that. I, 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 Remove yourself from the- I, I do not want to be, this is not the Joe show in true future. This is the challenge that this team has had is how are we going to tell the story? We don't know yet, but it's not going to be you telling it. And so that is the beauty of the matrix here of how are we going to pull this off? And what are you learning personally through this process? Oh God. Well, I mean, with Telluride, the things that we've, we've listened to uh, in the stories over the three and a half days we were there, um, I'm becoming a better storyteller. It's tremendous. And, and I think, and I talk about this all the time, I, two days ago, my three-year anniversary of the podcast and my first hundred guests, um, my ability to tell stories, my ability to just literally walk in here at nine o'clock in the morning, throw a couple of notes and have a quality, proper conversation. That went to happen three years ago. Mm -hmm. And the ability to storytell transcends everything that you do in life and in business. Relationships. People ask, oh, what do you get out of the podcast? What do you, what do you get from it? You know, the guests, you, you get sponsored. I go, it's, it's so much more than that. Mm -hmm. Personal development, that, that, that leads to business. Um, what else is on the horizon outside of Telluride for these guys? Uh, well, Telluride's on the horizon. Uh, we are uh, right now kicking off MedTech TV, which is... Um, a pretty substantial initiative. It's going to be its own media company. So, you know, the, the health tech, med tech, healthcare industry is a $1 trillion industry. There's not a weather channel for it. There's not mm. an ESPN sports channel for it. Um, there's not, you know, an MSNBC channel for it. So we are um, coming out of the gate with our first rev on it, uh, probably at the end of March. Uh, but it will be 24-7 uh, health tech, med tech TV uh, as is presented from both a medical side, a healthcare side, a consumer side, the convergence of, of medical technologies and healthcare into the consumer market is a tidal wave. And we are going to have 24 seven, we're gonna have news on it, we're gonna have talk shows, we're gonna have awesome. shark tanks, we're gonna have um, industry sponsored and so that, that is super exciting. That, that is probably one of the biggest massive lifts that I've ever had. I love it. And, and these are the type of conversations that inspire me surrounding myself with folks like Joe and Bert here, who I've, I've been watching them build, build this empire here. So I want to go back for a moment 
um, and not do the full Mullings origin story here, but I want to talk about something that I think is relevant to me. I mentioned before that I'm in the process of launching a new division, something I didn't know, I don't know anything about, and I'm learning every day. And it's not just the, the right click save mafia here, um, but the technology behind it, it inspires me. I'm going down rabbit holes every single day and I'm learning. Walk us back your decision and those early days of understanding the med tech industry and, and why. Mm. Just, for, just for a little bit. Yeah, real quick. Um, so this I'm is more engineer. for me, folks, because I, I wanted to ask Joe this. I'm an engineer. I've been an engineer since I'm a kid. Like, 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 what could I, like a walk. I wanted to make things, unwind things, take things apart. Um, when we decided in the search firm in 1989 what we wanted to pursue, uh, I knew, in fact, it's funny, I wish I had it here. I have my notebook. I have my notes um, from 1991 uh, on what it was going to be. And look, people were going to want it to live longer and not just longer, but better. Um, technology would always seek a higher ground. Uh, it had a built-in governor to it, the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration. Uh, the barrier to entry, and I'll get back why the FDA is important. The barrier to entry was so high because you had to understand multiple disease states, whether it's peripheral vascular disease, heart disease, neuro, um, coronary, uh, orthopedics, uh, 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 so knowing all that and then the subspecialties within that, and then all the functional roles, design, development, clin, reg, quality, marketing. So I knew that people were like, uh, no, I'm gonna go do accounting, right? <laughs> right? It, would, it would weed out the, 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 right. the scrappers. All my competition. The scrapper recruiters. All my competition, right. right? The FDA was important because the FDA governs the growth. So MedTech grows at about 8% per year. But within that 8% per year, because the FDA makes sure that it keeps the public safe, there are micro markets that grow anywhere from 20 to 30% per year. So those micro markets in the past have been surgical robotics. We see telehealth now, Initiative. we see structural heart. So there are these micro markets that are billions of dollars. The riches are in the niches. They always are. And the venture money was going after that, now private equity money, and now crowdfunding is going after that. So what we would do is we would sit in the pocket in that five to 7% growth, classic med tech, but we would pursue and forecast what the micro markets were, where that explosive growth occurred and venture money came in and was tossing big money at big salaries and big technologies, because then you could lock up big markets. That's why I chose med tech. And that's the opportunity. That, that's absolutely incredible and I appreciate that. So what advice would you give me as I venture down a, a something that's out of my area of expertise from a business standpoint. <clears throat> if it's, it's for headhunting? I'm gonna be recruiting yep. in this space. So I would go out and hire a subject matter expert immediately. Um, we just did that. Um, well, we've built the number one search firm in the world in MedTech, but we are now hiring people out of industry um, who I don't have to teach the industry to. In fact, they could be my Sherpa even though I think we know more than most of the people in the industry because they're stuck in one functional role, we're in all of them. Um, but we had a gentleman start this week who came out of Medtronic and he was an executive at Medtronic in a certain area, area of circulatory support, heart failure, where we do a lot of work. So we are now pursuing people who are coming out of MedTech because one is we can afford to pay those 150 to 250 salaries plus bonus. They right now want to come out of that market because eh, I don't know if I want to spend any more time in there. And headhunting is cool. Headhunting the way TMG does it is right cool. Way. To be on camera, a media company and change companies and careers. Yeah, I want to do that. So I would say your number one thing is go get a subject matter expert and bring her or him into your organization because you can teach them the strategy of recruiting 
and human nature in job changes, they can save you the time of running down the wrong rabbit holes. And that's exactly what I'm doing right now. So I, I am, feels good. That Confirmation I'm, of your genius. That, well, that's subjective as well there too, but I do certainly appreciate that. So, so, so let's bring it home here. Um, how's the flying going, man? I, I mean, literally, is this guy ever, ever here? Right? Is he, he's always in a plane. I always see these beautiful shots out the window. I think he just has like a whole stock footage image, but is every sunset perfect when you're up that high? When you're up that high, it is. <laughs> above the clouds? It is. Everything's perfect above the clouds, yeah. right? Focus, no phone, no distractions, locked yeah. in you and the machine. Locked in me and the you machine. You and the bird. Love it. Yeah, we, um, here we have a corporate plane that we use to get around a lot. Um, you guys saw the shots from yesterday coming back from Boston, and we have uh, the smaller one that I use, the Cirrus SR22 and the Conquest, the twin turbine. Um, I sit right seat in the Conquest, and I drive, I sit left seat in the uh, Cirrus. Um, so I love it. It's, it's engineering, it's Zen, it's decision-making with consequences, which I love. Mm. Um, it's constant learning. It's a fabulous cohort of people who are incredibly generous to share their knowledge with. Uh, and there's something about allowing one mile of tarmac to take you anywhere in the world. There's nowhere else you could use one mile of tarmac to go anywhere in the world unless you have a plane. That, that's absolutely incredible. How, talk about the Zen up there. Mm. What has that done for you virtually? It keeps my brain plastic, right? So, you know, I love to learn and there's an enormous amount of learning, but there's also a lot of intuition. You start to get connected to the plane. You can actually feel the RPMs in the plane. You know what the engine's doing. You know when the engine's off, when it's not quite running right. Um, you can tell in a turn where you are, uh, but at the same time, you're taking in all these evidence-based metrics on the glass, on the dash. Um, it, it, it's why I love, I'm 60 next week. Wow. Um, and I find I've got to continue to be voraciously learning things deep, deep. What, what was a key misconception or mistake that you've made recently in the last six months as you're working your way up? flying ladder? Uh, well, luckily, none of them were catastrophic. It's here today. <laughs> I, I think probably one of the, uh, it wasn't a big mistake. Uh, it was, there's something called flaps on a plane. And when you're taking off and when you're landing, they're really important. They change the dynamics of the plane quite a bit. And in, in, in one, of, one of the maneuvers I was doing, um, we weren't at a, quite the climb rate that I thought I should have been at and uh, couldn't figure out what was going on. And it was something as simple as me not throwing the last set of flaps up on the Sirius. Did you panic? Never, never, never. You know, and I've got some great instructors I work with and they put you in compromised situations. And they stretch. Look, I, I have no amygdala, so I don't panic. Amygdala is your center of fear, right? We've, I figured that out a long time ago. Yeah, that's and when why you are who you are. <laughs> right, right, right. And, and so I think it's really important that, you know, panic causes you know, your inability to make really well thought out decisions. So no, not, not, have not had a panic situation yet. My instructors are phenomenal and they put me in stretch the envelope scenarios a lot, you know, um, along the way. So have, haven't had a panic situation yet. I love it. So let's bring it home here. And I literally just pulled this question out of, out of thin air. Joe Mullings gives up recruiting and now he's working in a fortune cookie factory and he's actually the one writing the fortunes. What fortune do you want to leave for everybody heading into the rest of 22? What are you, what are you scribing on that little piece of paper? I'm not asking for the lottery, lucky numbers here. We're just asking for the fortune. 
I like that story. Reflect <laughs> on everything, regret nothing. Regret's a tough one. I've been really trying to park that one in my life. Reflect your fortune cookie today, my friend, is reflect on everything and regret nothing. I love it. We're going to wrap it up with that one. Everyone out there, I really hope that uh, you took this one in. Every time we do this, it gets deeper and more special and so many learnings. And selfishly, I kind of do this for me so I could look back and get some tips myself. But Joe Mullings, as always, I want to thank you. I want to thank the Dragonfly crew, everyone back there for the hard work that you do. You guys are incredible. I'm watching. Other people are watching. Joe Mullings, keep inspiring everyone. Keep inspiring your team, your family. Keep inspiring yourself. Thank you for inspiring me. Thank you, Joe. And everyone out there, remember, you can find more at thepodcast.com. Follow us on all the social media channels, and we'll catch you next time for another great episode of The Podcast. Take care, everybody. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon, jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The Podcast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com.